How do I know if I'm muted or not? You have to hold it. You down. won't hear your voice. How do I know if I... Ooh. Welcome to Unimed's Innovation Overground, where we dig into some of those amazing and cool discoveries and innovations that we often hear about but never actually seem to touch our lives in a meaningful way. We're here to find out maybe a little bit about what it might take to get those things from the back of a napkin into uh, onto a shelf. Uh, we're sponsored by Unimed, the Technology Transfer and Commercialization Office for the University of Nebraska Medical Center and the University of Nebraska at Omaha. My name is Charlie Litton, and I'm joined by Tyler Schur, a former scientist who's joined the dark side to help transfer these amazing discoveries. Say hi, Tyler. Hi, Charlie. And also, we're here by, joined by Joe. Hi, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Joe is also in our office. He, he works with a lot of cool stuff. Um, it's a lawyer's training. Um, Joe, it's become custom now. I think you need to tell our, our viewers, our listeners something yes yeah. please be sure to rate the podcast so other people can discover it please be sure to subscribe so you can see all the cool stuff we're doing and check out the future technology in the program notes it's always something interesting indeed um and, and do please take that seriously be sure to tell friends we do want to tell these untold unsung stories about these amazing technologies that universities are doing every day okay so all that said um, I think it's about time we went over something. I gave you short shrift last time, Tyler. We were talking about our favorite things of tech transfer, and you were talking about the relationships that you get to see. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, that is one of my favorite parts, really, is getting to is getting um, uh, multiple energetic inventors um, from that are very passionate about inventing, but maybe have different areas of expertise. Getting them together in a room and I just interrupt you. I'm sorry. what they come up with. I want to interrupt because yeah, yeah, yeah. for for um, who are our listeners? Belvedere and Florence. I can't love remember. it. <laughs> I mean, I seriously, when you talk about the the energy, the energetic inventors, I don't know if you're quite putting it in the context for people. Because I mean, seriously, when you meet an inventor who's excited about their idea, yeah, you really want to run out, put on some pom poms, and just go cheerleading for them. Oh There's yeah, their their excitement and enthusiasm is infectious. It yeah, it, it is. It definitely. I mean, so so inventing takes a lot of a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and this is a, a, a side hustle for most of them. It's something that they're doing on top of their day to. I mean, we have clinicians who are working, you know, long hours in surgery, but also thinking in the back of their minds about little tweaks they could be making to their instrumentation that would make the surgery ten percent more efficient and safer for their patients. You know, one thing that I think is important to realize is universities are filled with specialists on very specialized specialties. I mean, these are people who spend their entire life. <laughs> They're all very special. Studying the <laughs> physiology of, you know, one part of the eye, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Donnie Saw is not, he does not an eye doctor. He is a eye specialist in terms of eye corrections. If you look at our research faculty, you know, they're not experts in cancer biology. They're experts in very, you know, one specific pathway of cancer biology. And so they've dedicated 20 years of their lives on keeping up on all the research. You cannot keep up on all cancer research. You have to subspecialize and subspecialize and subspecialize. And so all that energy that motivated them to do that, right, it all comes directed at these inventions that they have because now they're not just contributing to the academic literature, which is very valuable in its own right, but they have a real opportunity to translate that into something that can touch somebody's lives. And it's really important for us to 
use that energy wisely because it's there and it's important to, to harness it. So you've seen that you've seen that energy, Tyler, right? From you've you actually you know Joe brings up uh, Donnie Saw. It's S U H pronounced Saw. Um, so you work with him a lot, and that guy just seems prolific. Yeah, yeah. So we've well, I've had the privilege of being a part of over half a dozen inventions in the last year with him. Um, he's we're, we're managing multiple projects that are all in various stages of development, from being close to being licensed. He's got a number of. Uh, surgical instruments that are already licensed and, and commercially available. Um, and then he has a, a, one project in particular that, I, that comes to mind when thinking about um, partnering inventors from different areas together. Um, I, I had the privilege of getting to, to listen to Dr. Donnie Saw give a, a, a seminar, a lecture at Children's Hospital. And he was talking about this research project that was ongoing using a, a, a camera adapter um, that can be fitted to an iPhone, a few different models of iPhone to be able to do retinal scans. And the big- Wait, wait, hold on. So you can do, what do you mean you can do a retinal scan with an iPhone? Yeah, so- Is that like an Android or iPhone? Does that have to be an iPhone? Could it be an Android? So since there's only a few of these commercially available from the company DI, uh, they actually only fit a few models of iPhone. So they don't- DI, the letters D and I? The letters D and then the word I. Oh, gotcha, okay. uh, E-Y-E, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can do, wait. So okay. So now back to the original question, though. You can yeah. you can do a retinal scan with an with an iPhone. Yes, yeah, so you can actually diagnose um, some ophthalmological diseases. Yeah, just using your mobile device. You're kidding. And so the so the yeah. So this is hugely. Well, I couldn't impactful. diagnose it, but well, <laughs> I would hope it's a physician with some training. You could use the camera though and actually yeah. record the relevant images that can then be uploaded to the cloud and sent remotely. This is the big impact of this wow. technology. Sent okay. remotely to Doctor Saw. Um, in Omaha. So he doesn't have to travel all across Nebraska. He's now able to upload. Oh, what does it do for rural medicine? It's I mean, huge. That's, that is huge. huge. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So he's a part of this big study. And this is these devices are relatively new, only been out for a year or two now. Um, but anyway, he was when he was given this presentation and showing all this amazing, all these amazing images and all the, the data they're collecting, um, he, you know, so, sort of as an aside, he kind of lamented that this only fits a few models of iPhone, which has been a little problematic. Mm, right. um, you know, in some cases, he's had to actually buy phones for these rural clinics so that they can fit the, the, um, the, the uh, cameras. Um, and we, I also, uh, through just my connections with 3D printing and rapid prototyping. Um, yeah, for, for the listeners, uh, you were basically a founder of the 3D Makers. I was, yeah, I was one of the co-founders of the, yeah, the, yeah. Three, the, the uh, UNMC Makers, so the, the makerspace in the, in the library at the Med Center. Yeah. And it's hard to have a conversation with Tyler without 3D printing coming up. Uh, yeah. So just so you know. It's like, hey, you want to get lunch? Can we 3D print it? Well, I guess. If, Again? If, if the ketchup bottle counts as an extruder, sure, Tyler. Go ahead and print your lunch. <laughs> oh, that's great. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So through that, uh, I got to meet a pathologist, uh, Dr. Jesse Cox, who's um, also, just uh, fell in love with 3D printing around the same time as yeah. me. Um, he's and a good guy. I met him. When, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. no, no. And uh, so he was. At, he's an inventor as well, and he had invented a uh, camera, what's a uh, microscope adapter oh, yeah. that would hold a cell phone. And I got to thinking, this isn't that. You know, in the moment, mm -hmm. uh, I was thinking this isn't actually that much different from what Doctor Saw could use. He could use. Um, basically an adapter that would fit this special camera for retinal scans, but could be, um, uh, it could fit multiple 
uh, phones. So you could fit Android, you could fit different versions of cell phone. Um, so it'd be uh, kind of a one size fits all. And uh, so, I, you know, I had the privilege of connecting those two and they immediately hit it off and were immediately coming up with different um, iterations and then being able to use the 3D printer to That to is a really test cool real thing that Tech Transfer could put two people who would have no way of, I mean, would, do their paths cross otherwise? You think? No. Nope. That's uh, cool. I, maybe eventually down the road at some point, yeah. you know, maybe at like one of our um, Innovation Week banquets or something as, yeah. as both being inventors, they might have crossed paths, but otherwise. So how did that interaction go? You put those two guys in the same room. What happens? Well, so I put them in the same room, and not only did they work on this project, um, but they've also been co-inventors on two or three additional projects as well since wow. then. So. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so where's the where's the iPhone, the, the retinal scanner project now? Where is it? What, what level of development is it at? Yeah, so we're we're uh, uh, about to roll out version two. So we had version one, and uh, we've had a, a lot of good discussions with the company DI. They were very interested, um, uh, but for a number of reasons, uh, we're going to be rolling out uh, version two, and we'll hope to partner with them, but maybe possibly just go on our own as well. Is this thing out there now? I mean, if I want to, if I want this thing right now, can I go out and get it? No, okay. nope. It's not out there yet, um, but we have a functional prototype, okay. and we're also hoping to be able to do uh, more than just one type of scan as well with this with the new prototype. So the, it's also a really cool collaboration as well. Um, there's a uh, through through the the uh, Emmet program. Um, so we have we have med students that that uh, decide that they want to get some experience in technology transfer and they can come through and get paired with inventors. We now have a med student who had a background in architectural design, um, Devin, and he's been involved in helping uh, make modifications to some of these designs Hmm. as well with his CAD skills. So that's been that's been pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. The um, you, you did talk about that um, the microscope attachment that is available though on the market. Maybe that's the one I was thinking of. Oh yeah, sorry, that is available. Yeah, right. so so uh, Jesse Cox has a, a a little company called Yellow Basement Design, and we we've licensed that microscope mount back to him, and it's uh, available for sale. There's maybe a link even on our our website as well. I think there that. is. Yeah. <clears throat> Be sure to check the program notes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's. I have a note here that we need to be better at shilling. So, um, <laughs> what about you, Joe? Do you have uh, have you have you put those kind of made those kind of connections before in your experience, where you can be able to get two people in the same room and watch the magic happen? Yeah, I, I think um, nothing quite as dramatic as what uh, Tyler's talked about. But you know, one of the things I've always found is um, medicine now is dealing with really big problems. And so it requires really big solutions. And one of the projects, I, I didn't introduce them, but there is a collaboration between a, a group of immunologists and a cardiologist. And they're taking diagnostic tests that were originally envisioned for um, specific liver diseases and repurposing them as really powerful predictors of, of cardiac disease. And that's uh, another good example of, of how these how, types of collaborations. How do you take here. something that's good for? Wait, what'd you say? It was. These are uh, diagnostic tests that were originally designed for liver diseases. Liver disease. Right, and and it also works for cardiovascular disease. Right, and and these aren't just you know crazy theories. This is two people talking about, you know, what are the underlying biological reasons for the disease, and realizing that there's similarity there, hmm. and then you know ultimately 
tweaking what was originally a, a product from one application and finding for a new one. And I think one of the great things that, that remain about universities is we're these sort of warehouses of specialists and there's always someone there you can have that conversation with. And so as long as you kind of know where the next step in the path is, usually there's someone to have that conversation. It doesn't always work, uh, but when it does, it's really neat. That's cool. I think so. I think I know what you're talking about. I think that was that was Dan Anderson, right? Who, it was. Yeah, they pulled him in and said, "What do you think of this?" Yeah. And he thought, and he's in demand. He's a card carrying cardiologist. Yeah. He's like saving lives. And, right. But he stopped to invent something. It was really cool. Yeah. And so he, he th- as I recall, it, it, he he saw the technology. Like, wow, this this might have something to do with cardiovascular disease and but the difference though it's not predicting cardiovascular disease because one thing i remember you know i talked to him god this was like five or ten years five or six years ago he was saying the thing is we all have it you have it right now he pointed at me he said you have cardiovascular disease i'm like you know what point at me man what do you know about i don't eat bacon as far as you know it is <laughs> all the time you were eating bacon at the time i kind of i kind of smell like bacon so um it's hard to keep the dogs away uh, but anyway you know so any at the time a, a paper had just come out like they, they excavated mummies from like egypt and they had cardiovascular disease it's like you know it's the human condition you know right. so you've got it mm-hmm. and then and he was like you know so the difference is do you have the good kind or the bad kind right um, you're better. Sounds like Dan. You're you're better at explaining the good kind versus the bad kind, right? Well, the thing that was really interesting is is Dan, you know, was working with a group of immunologists, and he had been keeping up on the literature, and there was an emerging um, field of study that really looked to determine if there was an inflammatory basis of coronary artery disease, and so. You know, we get stuck in this model where, you know, it's like plumbing, right? You know, you, you eat bacon and something gets stuck in your blood and right. it gradually accumulates and you get a hairy clog and you die. And in reality, it's not like that. Um, the, the more advanced sciences, it's more like if your, your pipes would react to the clogs that you sort of generate. And so the, the real question, if you have stable versus unstable coronary artery disease, is, is a question of your inflammatory response to it. And the, the test that they were looking at was originally looking for the, the production of these um, immunologically active byproducts when people have alcoholic liver disease. And it was a way to determine if you have alcoholic liver disease or, or non-alcoholic liver disease. And ultimately they found the same test could really assess whether or not you have pro-inflammatory coronary artery disease or, or not. And again, it was... So what's the difference between the good, I'm just going to call it good and bad, between good uh, vascular disease and, and or good and bad vascular disease? So stable disease, the one that's less likely to cause a heart attack, is the one that your body is not immunologically reacting to. And that makes sense, right? Because so what happens then? You've got it. You've got cardiovascular disease. You've got the stable kind. So you get like what? So gradually you, you live to 90 years old with cardiovascular disease? Your, your cardiovascular disease will present itself as angina. So you'll start oh, to get pain okay. in your chest. Right. Um, you will get diminished blood flow to your heart. You may still need surgery, but that's different than a heart attack. Right? So the unstable then, that's when you throw a clot or you throw right. a, something. You, you have a an plaque that disrupts, right? right. And, and, so, and, and what's causing that is you have essentially a long-term immunological reaction to your own coronary So that's plaques. the one you're walking out to get the newspaper and you drop dead in your driveway. Right. And, you know, there's no guarantee you're not going to get a heart attack. It's a right. more question of likelihood. Okay. So, you know, the, the person who tragically dies young from coronary artery disease, 
their disease may not be as progressed. They don't have as big of plaques in their, their coronary arteries, but those plaques are less stable. And so they're more likely to erupt. The eruption occludes. The occlusion causes a heart attack. So we're talking about guys now who figured out a way to maybe predict which one you have. Right. And so instead of, version, instead of looking at the plaques or anything like that, they look at your antibodies. Do you have the antibodies in your blood that are indicative of an immune reaction to the coronary artery disease? Or not. Okay. And so, so I can go to the doctor and get a test, a uh, blood you, test. We are working very closely on only You may not. You may actually be doing it at home. Wow. When? When does that happen? Because uh, I, I really eat a lot of bacon. I need this test. You put down the bacon, Charlie, <laughs> and write this down. <laughs> so keep it? listening to the podcast. We will keep you guys informed. Okay. All right. On that note, I think it's about time we came back to ground on this. Thank you for joining us. Um, you know, remember, you can go to the program notes and learn more about the technologies we talked about. We talked a little bit about MA, and uh, well, MA is the uh, coronary artery disease thing, Jake. And um, we also talked about the Medlens, I guess. Med I lens. never really. You didn't yeah, say the, yeah, the, the. I didn't name it. The, the, the iPhone attachment. So yeah, there's a lot yeah. of cool stuff there. Check it out. Uh, for Tyler Sher and Joe Rangi, I'm Charlie Litton saying thank you. And join, join us again on Unimed's Innovation Overground.